So we're in week five of our sermon series on ten values. Ten values that build strong families. The Ten Commandments. So this week we're looking at the Fifth Commandment. Please take out the sermon notes that have been prepared for you. Look with me at Exodus 20, verse 13, where God says, You shall not murder. Four words. I know that some of you are saying that we can really skip this one this weekend. Probably your urge to murder does not happen very often. Except when you're on a freeway, maybe. My guess is that within our church, we do not have 10, or maybe 15 at the max, professional hitmen. So you are thinking that most of you, you do not need this message. Clarence Darrell once said, I have not killed anybody, but I but I have read with a whole lot of obituaries with glee. By the time the average American child has hit sixth grade, they have witnessed over 8,000 murders on television. They've watched over 100,000 acts of violence on television. See, we live in a violent society. Every 22 minutes in America... Somebody is stabbed, shot, beaten, or strangled to death. That's the highest homicide rate in the world. More kids die from violence than they do from illness. So Martin Luther asked the question, what does this mean? It says we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. When you look at this fifth commandment, you shall not murder. It seems like a very straightforward command. Actually, it's often misunderstood, misapplied, and misinterpreted. So we want to talk about what does it mean and what it does not mean. First of all, three things this fifth commandment does not mean in your notes number one. The fifth commandment is not prohibiting killing animals. Looking at Genesis 9, verse 3, everything that lives and moves will be food for you, God said. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. After the time of the flood, God gave every living thing for man as food, in addition to the green plants. But the Bible is very clear about the difference between human life and animal life. Because God forbids man to kill human life, but God permits the killing of animal life. In fact, it became part of their temple worship. Because God commanded his people, and you know, the animals be sacrificed. So God never contradicts himself. God would not say one thing one place and something different another place. So you interpret an unclear passage with a clear passage. Scripture interprets Scripture. Many places in scriptures it's very clear that God says it's okay to kill animals. So you do not have to be a vegetarian. That's unless you want to be. It is not commanded in the scriptures. In your notes number two, the second thing this command 
does not mean it is not prohibiting capital punishment. It does not prohibit, first of all, killing animals. Secondly, it does not prohibit capital punishment. Many times in Scripture, God commands capital punishment. For certain crimes, God says it's okay that worthy of a death penalty. Just look at Leviticus 24. Anyone who commits murder shall be put to death. The principle of a life for a life. So that is very clear. So God says there are some things like murder that demand a death penalty. In your notes to maintain order, God gave this authority to use the death penalty. The governments. The Bible says that God allowed human governments to be set up to maintain law and order and to punish the evildoers. So look at Romans 13.4. The government is there to serve God for your benefit. They carry out God's revenge by punishing wrongdoers. So God says that I have set up governments. I allow them. Now there are no perfect governments, no one government that's right all the time. But they do keep law and order. And God wants justice in this world. In fact, God demands swift justice, which our system of appeals often make a mockery of. For example, when President William McKinley was assassinated... His assassin was caught, convicted, and executed 53 days later. Do you think that would happen today? Not a chance. When Theodore Bundy was actually executed after killing those women, over 30 women, it was 11 years after the crime he was executed. Who paid for those 11 years? The taxpayer did. That was not justice. In your notes, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, Justice postponed is justice denied. Some still argue today that they do not think capital punishment really deters criminals. Well, it certainly does for the one executed. The one criminal is not going to rape anybody again or murder anybody else. For your information today, the average life sentence is actually eight years. The fifth commandment does not prohibit killing animals, does not prohibit capital punishment. Number three in your notes, the third thing this command does not mean, it is not prohibiting going to war. See, God says there are things worth fighting for. Look at Ecclesiastes 3 verse 8 where God says, there is a time for war. There are some things that are worth dying for. It is right to fight in order to preserve one's freedom. It's right to fight in order to defend innocent people. It's right to fight to stop the spread of evil in our world. So in your notes, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So in this fifth commandment, God does not mean prohibiting going to war, prohibit capital punishment, or killing animals. So what is God talking about then? You shall not murder. What does that have to do with building strong families? You say there are no murders taking place in my family. Probably not. But do you remember that the very first murder in the Bible took place where? In a family. Cain killed his brother, Abel. Today in your notes, most violent crimes occur between family members. 
Maybe you think murder is something that happens only in Detroit or Chicago or in Toledo or in inner cities. Headlines in a daily newspaper reveal the rise of domestic violence. Nightly, people are being killed by the ones they love. People are murdered by the members of their own family. So what is God saying? Why is this a value that relates to your family? Life is of tremendous value to every family. We look at three ways, then, this fifth commandment applies to family. In your notes, number one, God says, no to suicide. God says, don't do it. People say, it's my life, I have a right to live it or take it. God says, no, you don't. Look at Romans 14, verse 7. We are not our own bosses to live and die as we ourselves might choose. See, in your notes, suicide is the number two killer among college students. Suicide also is the number three killer among high school students. More kids are killed by suicide than by traffic. God simply says, don't do it. I gave you your life and only I have the right to take it away. You do not own your life and you do not own the right to take it. On the back of your notes, looking at Job chapter 14, verse 5. The length of a man's life is decided what? Beforehand. The number of months he will live. And you, God, have settled it. See, God has numbered the days that you're going to live. He does not want you or me to short-circuit him. Most of us, at different times, have felt despair. And we have asked, is life worth living? If you ever felt hopeless or considering suicide, I say to you, there is certainly hope. Because you don't matter to God. You, God has made, you, he has made you for his purpose. And God cares about you. Look at Jeremiah 31 verse 3. Long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love I have drawn you to myself. So in your notes, God can help you out of your despair. You have to hear God's word and God's message. He can help you. When you visit the ocean, you can see how the tide is going out. It becomes very ugly, the seashore. There's driftwood and junk left all over the place. It doesn't look good. But hang in there because the tide also always comes back in. You have to have been thinking, my life sometimes is not worth living. Know that you matter to God. You really do. You matter to God's people. Let God help you in your times of trouble. Let God's people help you so that the light of God's sun can shine in your life again. God says no to suicide. In your notes number two, God also says no to mercy killing. The technical term for mercy killing is euthanasia. Look at Job 12 verse 10. It is God who directs the lives of his creatures. Every man's life is in his power. So God says no to mercy killing. And you notice euthanasia is causing death because of maybe a deformity, maybe because of old age, because of an incurable disease. We are not talking about allowing natural causes to take life or about not putting extreme artificial support systems into place to keep life going on and on. This is about causing death instead of providing care. 
This is about causing death of someone either because of inconvenience to you or because you think that their life is no longer worth living. And God is saying, you do not have the right to do that. Only God has the right to determine when I should stop living. Only God. He has chosen it for you and he's chosen it for me. This is such a relevant issue for our society today. Because in your notes, euthanasia issues today will actually legalize doctors putting people to death. God says not doctors, not anybody else has the right to put people to death. Now this is not talking about allowing natural causes to take, of course, or about just pulling the plug on extraordinary life support when there's no hope of recovery. So you look at Proverbs 31, verse 8. Please read that verse with me, together, out loud. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. There was a guy years ago who thought that he had the right to determine who would live and who would die. In your notes, his name was Hitler. The fifth commandment applies to family because God says no to suicide God says no to mercy killing. In your notes number three, God also says no to abortion. This is a new application not spelled out clearly in the old Lutheran catechism. In the recent edition under the fifth commandment, it states that God forbids abortion. Look at Psalm 139. You, God, created every part of me. You put me together in my mother's womb. When my bones were being formed, when I was growing there in secret, you, God, you knew I was there. You saw me before I was born. The days allotted to me were all recorded in your book before any of them ever began. In that verse, circle the words, I and me and my. Because eight times there, God is talking about a baby inside his mother. The psalmist says, you, God, created me. You saw me. You knew me. See, God is saying that there is a person, a human being inside the mother. And it's not just a blob of tissue. God has planned every day of your life before you were born. Other passages talk about how God even knows your personality before you were born. Since God has planned your very beginning, formed you and your mother from the beginning, your life has been planned by God. So in your notes, biblically speaking, there are no unplanned pregnancies. Never. No accidental conceptions. Maybe we as human beings did not plan it. Maybe it even came as a result of some evil. But there are no accidental conceptions. Because God says, I planned it. I have numbered the days of that child before it was even born. I have put it together with its genetic capabilities. So God has a purpose for every conception, even if and even when we do not have a purpose for them ourselves. So God says a fetus is not just issue. A fetus is a life, a life that I have planned. So an abortion... It's ultimate short-circuiting of God's will. This is kind of shocking in our culture today. In your notes, 26% of all pregnancies in America 
are aborted, 26%. That's actually one out of every four. And 30 million Americans have been killed through abortions. In fact, that's more than all the wars put together. And here's something else that's rather shocking in your notes. Every year, 500 babies actually live after being aborted. Yeah, they continue to live. See, God continues to enable a baby to live. In your notes, 97%. 97% of all abortions are because of inconvenience. And 97% of abortions are not because the life of a mother is threatened or because of a rape or because of incest, but rather because the mother said it's inconvenient. I'm choosing not to have the baby because it's not in my lifestyle at this time. But God says abortion is killing. If you don't want to believe that, then you must simply cut that verse or two out of your Bibles then. Today, there's also an argument. The chief argument for abortions in your notes. No child should be born unwanted. Now there's a fallacy in that argument. Maybe the parents of that child do not want a child. But God does. In your notes, for God there are no unwanted children. Because that's why God allows conception. Look at Jeremiah 1 verse 5. I, God, knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. So in your notes, every child, every child deserves a birthday. And 30 million Americans never got one. In conclusion, did you know that the most of the Bible was actually written by three men who were murderers? Yeah, Paul, you see, he hated the early Christians. He hunted them down to kill them when his name was Saul. David, he killed the husband of Bathsheba. Moses took the life of an Egyptian. Yet they came to God, were forgiven by God, and God used them in a great way. That's the message of God's grace for you and for me. It does not matter so much where you've been in the past but rather what direction your feet are headed today. Because you really matter to God. Your conception, your birth, your life is all planned by God. God made you and God planned you. God wants to know you and he wants you to know he loves you. He wants you and his eternal family. You know, we all make mistakes. We all sin. And that means me and that means you. We have done things we regret. Just look at Genesis 50, verse 20, where Joseph, he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. That's good news. On Good Friday, when Jesus suffered and died, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, God so loved the world, forgiveness of sins and eternal life was won. That's good news from the cross. And God, God is the only one in your notes who can bring good out of evil. So even in our bad choices, even in our dumb decisions, God is able to work good if you simply give him the pieces of your life. Amen.